On this episode of the podcast, I have with me Michael Bennett. He's the Director of Engineering for Enterprise at the Climate Corp. We're going to be talking about a few different things on this podcast. Mike actually has a very different background. He's had a long journey through working at the Climate Corp, reinventing himself, some unique challenges in the roles that he's held. And I think it's going to be interesting because I don't think we've covered this topic before in the podcast. And uh, Mike, I appreciate you being on. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I guess just to kind of set a little context for everyone, if they're not familiar with the Climate Corp, obviously they'll probably look you up on LinkedIn to do the deep dive. But what do you guys do over there? So Climate Corporation is a subsidiary of Bear. We are part of the crop science organization within Bear, and we develop kind of the digital farming space. And so Climate Corporation has a, a product called FieldView, which is a software tool coupled with hardware that's uh, in the various components within the farm. So just the combines and tractors, et cetera, that help optimize the grower's return on their investment in seed. So looking at different components within farm management, such as planting and harvest uh, and field management, the software collects the data, provides guidance and insight for the grower. So it's a software tool, data management as well within uh, the ag space. You've been there for a while. I mean, agriculture is obviously big business. And um, within the scope of that and the space of that, I mean, you've been within agriculture for a while now, right? A little over 20 years. I guess uh, you just, just uh, I, I noted this on your LinkedIn. I was going to bring it up. Obviously, you graduated with a biology degree. You work for an agricultural science company on the data side. A little bit of an interesting dynamic. I mean, I, I guess it doesn't always happen that way, but it's kind of cool that it did. Yeah, that wasn't the plan at the beginning. <laughs> the plan with the biology degree was to go into med school, decided not to go that route. Worked in some labs, more on the microbiology side, decided to go back to grad school. This was in the late 90s. IT and computer science was becoming very popular at that time. I decided to switch my degrees, go explore. Um, found it really interesting. Moved uh, for graduate school to the St. Louis area. At that time, Monsanto, which was acquired by Bear, was looking for individuals who had the life science, chemistry background, but also an engineering background as well. That was at the time that Monsanto was making a, a fundamental shift in their business from a chemistry-based organization to a biotechnology organization. So they needed to find individuals who could help them with that shift in, in uh, biotech and technology with uh, managing the data at scale, which was really kind of the first time we really started to look at that. And genomic sequencing was kind of the area that I went into initially as I was recruited by Monsanto and then uh, moved through the ranks into management and stayed in the R&D organization within Monsanto, eventually moving over to the commercial business and then Got into kind of the next wave of ag, which was digital agriculture, which was kind of a, a new thing about 10 years ago. Uh, looking at, hey, now that we have the biotech seeds and we have um, the chemistries, how do we really combine them to really optimize both the yield of the product as well as the revenue for the grower? And this was, could we use data to drive that insight? So that was kind of the beginning of the new kind of market around digital agriculture. And so started that about 10 years ago. And that led to an acquisition of the Climate Corporation out of San Francisco. Joined that in 2014 and have been there since in multiple roles. 
like I said, it wasn't a career path I could have ever mapped out 20 years ago. It was nowhere even on the horizon, but it's uh, worked out. And it's part of some of the things that you and I have talked about in the past around kind of constantly reinventing yourself, constant learning, looking at new challenges, keeping your eyes open to where you have new opportunities and new things that you find interesting, exciting, and explore and move. Luckily, you know, I was in a company like Monsanto and Bear that really encouraged that growth and that, that exploration personally around your career. And so it's been um, pretty rewarding. I mean, you've been there, a, you know, the tenure's fantastic. So obviously something's working really well in the progress. And, and yeah, I, th- I think the one thing you'd mentioned on our pre-call was lots of reinventing yourself. And, and obviously the organization has to support that. I guess just to kind of just step back and talk about that reinventing yourself within a company to, to be there for 20 years. What is that like? I guess you start 20 years ago to now, like, where were you? Where did you see yourself going? You know, how'd you plot your track? I mean, those are questions that people look at and go, it's not by accident you're there and you're at a director level. I mean, those are, (laughs) you're obviously good and you've made some good decisions along the way in a company that's supporting you. I agree. I think the key that I've had is, you know, don't be too rigid in your career plans. It's good to have the plans to help kind of guide you, but also realize those plans are always going to change. And so, you know, look at where the new opportunities are evolving and be flexible, be willing to fail. So yeah, I've I've made some good decisions. I've also made a lot of bad decisions, but, you know, having the ability to fail and learn from it and recover and move forward and not getting bogged down in the failure, look at that as an opportunity to learn something and move yourself past it. I think the other thing is, is also having a The ability to kind of keep a pulse on how the company and the organization is evolving around you. Where are the things that are kind of growing? There's one thing that I've learned is there's things that we publish that we say even internally that these are the things that that are moving the company forward and they are. But there's also that kind of that second layer below it around the things that you hear as you're moving through the organization, you're talking to people, you kind of hear where the hot spots, where the new things are kind of growing. And if you find that interesting, then, you know, Take it upon yourself, take the initiative to go explore it and have some, you know, conversations and reach out. Like a big piece of it too is I've always looked at having a mentor and understanding, having multiple mentors potentially across an organization, not someone who's just within your group, but someone who you can trust, who you can bounce ideas off of, who can kind of give you some direction and feedback. And then also understanding the difference between a mentor and a coach. And so once you find something and you want to explore it and finding those coaches who can really kind of help you dig in a little bit and see, is this something that really sticks? Can I be good at it? Am I not good at it? Can I you know, use this as a way to kind of move forward? And then being patient too. Don't expect this thing to happen overnight, you know, especially if you're taking a big shift in your career or you're looking to move into a completely different function. Realize that it may be small steps. You may be doing your job plus maybe someone else's or a second job a little bit for a while until that thing matures and, and moves forward. You mentioned mentoring versus coaching. Let's, let's go back. I want to talk about that because I uh, we did a whole episode on mentoring and I think it was really good. I like the fact that you brought up the coaching piece because obviously improving, it's one thing to ask for advice, the other is to improve. So I guess maybe using yourself as an example Maybe walk us through mentoring versus coaching in terms of you know how you sought that balance and, and we'll kind of go from there. The way I've kind of looked at it is you can have a coach and a mentor in the same person, but typically they're different. And a, a mentor is someone, and this is my perspective on it, 
it's likely someone that you're going to stick with, even if you're not even in that group or department anymore. Maybe someone couldn't even be outside your company. And I, I do have mentors who are at different organizations. It's someone that you have a high degree of trust. You value their perspective. You value their honesty in terms of giving you feedback, whether it be positive or negative feedback around what you're doing or how to improve. You're really looking at them as a, someone to really help guide you along your journey. So that's a mentor, a coach is someone who, once I've identified something I want to learn or explore or evaluate, I'm looking for someone who can give me feedback on my progress in that area or where I need to improve or what I need to do to kind of move myself along into the next level. And sometimes that coach may become a mentor and vice versa, but typically they can be someone separate. And usually a coach is going to be someone that's going to be in your area of interest maybe in your department or where you want to go in terms of your new job path or whatever. But that, in my mind, is a coach and a mentor difference. Both absolutely essential and something I think you have to nourish. It's not something that's just going to come readily to you. People are going to come to you and say, hey, can I be your mentor or can I be your coach? No, you have to actually be actively going out there and seeking those individuals. And then, you know, I think the piece that I've seen a lot in terms of, as I've worked with my prior teams and growing other individuals is that you've got to nourish that and keep that going. It's not something that you can just you know, jump back into, especially on the mentor side. You, know, you can't talk to them you know, and skip having a conversation for three years. You really need to have the ability to you know, meet them on a periodic basis, have that conversation, even sometimes if you're not even looking at a specific goal, but something that you can you know, nourish and grow. So they kind of understand how you're thinking along potentially multiple years. They kind of see how you've grown and they can give you that feedback from a completely different perspective than maybe your boss or your manager or someone who you know you work with directly. Interesting. I guess when you're looking, and again, you know, we're using you as an example, but when you were looking back at you know your career and obviously it makes sense, you need a mentor for the long term and you're trying to you know, it's a bigger scope of what you're trying to accomplish with the mentor versus a coach. But focusing on the coach piece again, like when you were deciding to reach out, obviously, you know, were there certain circumstances you're like, well, this is just absolutely new to me. I know nothing of it. Is it a case where you were like, you know, I'm just not sure about what I know, or this is something brand new? Like, are, were there like parameters of when you'd go reach out for a coach? Because I mean, people obviously can't, you know, we Google everything nowadays, but you know, can't reach out to a coach for everything. But what were some of those drivers of I got to reach out because I do need this ramp up of information from somebody? I would typically encourage someone, especially if it's something that they have no idea what it is, to do as much self-education as they can to get themselves to a baseline. But then you, you reach a certain threshold where you get kind of stuck in terms of, okay, what do I do now? I know the basics. I know, you know if I'm thinking about, uh, you know, I want to move into a new programming language that has new opportunities on a new team so I can read all the books I want on Python, et cetera, et cetera. But then how do I actually apply it in this work condition? Who do I talk to? How do I actually get an opportunity to potentially work on a project? That's where you start to feel out, okay, who would be potentially someone that could help coach and guide me on that, on that way? And sometimes they could be an informal coach as opposed to a formal coach. An informal coach, maybe someone you just reach out to and you're using them as a coach, but they don't quite understand that they're really a coach to you. They're just providing advice or feedback. And then there are others who may be a formal coach. We say, hey, I would like to set up a coaching relationship with you. And I would like to have so much of your time for a period of time to help move me along. And then finding the right coach is another challenge too. So who's the right person? And sometimes that's hit and miss. You know, who is someone that I feel would be good at, at helping me along this path? 
And typically that's a little bit of that, you know, hallway conversation that you learn through the day-to-day at an organization, you know, who's good at helping others, who has a kind of a, a natural affinity to, you know, reaching out and, and helping, you know, grow others on the team. Sometimes it's not the best and brightest of the engineers. Maybe it's someone who is a manager who could help kind of guide you along and provide advice in terms of what to learn and where to, to reach out. But, uh, you know, the coach is going to do everything for you too. It's going to be someone who's going to give you some point reference in terms of what you're doing right or wrong and where to kind of go to the next level. But you're going to have to do a lot of the grunt work, you know, dig in, show them that you're actually progressing, that you're taking this seriously, that, you know, you want to move forward because you're really... Typically, in the cases that I've used coaching, it's usually to solve a project problem or to move into a new area or new skill set that I'd like to explore. I want to show that I'm making progress on that. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because I think a lot of people, we have the piece where we'll go ramp up on our own, we'll try to get there. And the last mile, a lot of times is discouraging and we just stop because there's a challenge of having to go find that person, which is, I mean, you're basically selling yourself to somebody to have an opportunity. And it's like, I'm already, I already have my job and now I've got to find this person. And that's when I think a lot of mentoring and coaching just kind of goes by the wayside is the finding of the person. That is true. And and that is a significant amount of effort. And like I said, sometimes that can be a little bit of hit and miss. You may think you have the right person and it ends up not being that person. But that last mile is absolutely the hardest thing to kind of get over because really what you want to do is you want to take that knowledge you've acquired on your own and be able to apply it. Apply it in a way that has value back to the business in some fashion. And that hurdle is something that a lot of individuals, I think, either stop because they they don't know where to go or they fail on it because they don't have a coach to really help move them into that next piece or they haven't put the energy or think the dedication into moving themselves to that next level. It is a critical asset and it's something that you have to, I think, build a certain level of communication skill around, you know, how do I reach out? You know, it's going to maybe potentially put me out of my comfort zone a little bit to go have this conversation with someone I don't really know that well. But I think if you're serious about it, it's something that you absolutely have to kind of, you know, move yourself to do. Absolutely. I find it fascinating because I think, you know, a lot of us, you know, have that gap of wanting to find someone and it's a challenge. And and I think a lot of times, you know, I, I personally, it's funny, I, I am on Google trying to find that gap on my own for something. It, and, it's, and it's in our daily lives, right? This is happening every day and everything we do, how to repair something. And somebody's produced a video that we can go watch. But for careers... There is no video, there is no YouTube, there is no, you need to talk to somebody who maybe understands and has some context of what you're trying to do. And, and then it's to overcome that whole hurdle. So I think it's fantastic that you saw it, you went after it, and you kind of have leveraged that through your career. I was going to ask you, do you still have mentors? I mean, you mentioned mentors, but do you still have coaches that you turn to when, when something comes up? Absolutely. Coaches are a little more sporadic sure. at this point, but uh, absolutely maintain the mentors and still have those. A little hard recently just with the whole COVID thing, but you know, it's something that uh, I think you it's absolutely invaluable. You know, I actually even look at you know some mentors, even I, I know some people who've retired who still have a relationship with their mentors. That is a mentor, someone who you've kind of built that relationship over time that, that can truly give you the honest feedback and help kind of guide you in your career and in, in your life as well. And, you know, when I started my career too, I always heard that from, you know, we'd have art leadership training, et cetera. And I was like, okay, I kind of understand what they're trying to do, but I don't quite understand how it connects to me. And when does it happen? 
And it's not something that's going to happen in a couple of months. It's something that you mature over time and mentors will come and go, but you'll find that a few will stick around for a very long time and kind of grow with you. And the mentors I have now are actually not even with the company that I'm, <laughs> I'm at now. So they've all moved on to other areas, but I still connect with them. I actually have found them more valuable in this phase of my career than having individuals directly within my own organization because it gives me a completely different perspective. And uh, I think that's a, a really critical component of personal growth. Yeah, especially if it's a longer term mentor. I mean, they now understand the full body of what you've done and they understand where you're trying to go. And it is difficult once you're in the day-to-day to maintain some semblance of a straight line in your career because you're starting to be pulled in different directions and sometimes it looks appealing. And, and I was speaking to somebody and they were like, you sometimes need somebody just to tell you, don't stop straight line. And it's because we're all you know, going a million miles an hour and, and what looks like a little you know, two millimeter pivot could turn out to be in five years, a, you know, a massive, massive shift in what we were hoping to do. Right. Yeah. Someone just uh, give you a perspective around. I always say it's a, it's a reality check. Maybe I'm spreading myself too thin. Maybe I'm not reaching out enough. Maybe I'm focusing on a completely the wrong thing. Too much noise. And noise happens you know, constantly in, in your day-to-day. But how do you really zero in on those things that are really important and kind of let the noise handle itself? Absolutely. You brought something up in our pre-discussion that really struck something that I, I was like, I think the audience might be curious and could provide value. So we were talking about you know, delivery, right? You have to, you're in a position as a director of uh, engineering for the enterprise, you have to deliver. We talked about delivering, but potentially not having ownership of the team, not having stake over team, you know, authority of a team and having to deliver. Let's kind of talk about that and, and I guess your world in that regard and we'll kind of dive into it. So it's really kind of referred to as you know, leadership through influence and how do you actually create practical outcomes when you don't really have the resources or the authority to really drive the other functions that you need to make something happen. It's not something that it's a cookie cutter recipe for delivery. It's something that I think each challenge has a kind of a unique solution for. And one of the things that I've used is understanding what are the priorities for, let's just say we have a project that we're trying to deliver. We have a project where no one team is accountable for delivery, but we know as a company, we want to deliver this. This is a priority for us to, to drive it for. And this is typically the role that I'm in right now. So we have an objective that could span multiple functions, could even span multiple divisions. We have resources within those groups that may or may not be fully dedicated to this effort. But how do you move it forward? How do you kind of move the needle? And I, what I found is a, a few, I guess, key points. One, be very clear and, and simple in terms of articulating what you're trying to achieve. So what's the outcome that we're trying to drive? Oftentimes what I find is that each group has a slightly different understanding of the objective and what it means to them. So whether they find it as a priority or not kind of is dictated by what they understand the goal to be. So kind of having that ability to go around and communicate and engage with the various individuals that you think are stakeholders across that function. Trying to understand within those functions who are the true influencers within those groups. And it may or may not be the leader of that group. It could be key individuals within that group who have the leader's ear. And so who are the influencers? And then how do I articulate the problem where we need to go after in a way that everyone clearly understands it and everyone understands the value it has, not only to the company, but to them. 
So what's in it for them? And I think that's the key thing is getting down. And this is a lot of the grunt work of just digging in and understanding how to articulate that value to those functions that you need to be able to deliver it. And then at sometimes you may have to understand kind of the hierarchy of the organization. Who are the key leaders across the functions that if I need to, could be the sponsors for this? And who then could drive through their organizations the priority to deliver? And so, so it's kind of a grassroots as well as a top-down approach to kind of meet the problem, articulate it in a clear, concise way and provide that value proposition to the various functions that need to deliver and then bringing them together. The other thing that I think is critical, and I kind of learned this a little later in my career, is that you can't lead this through committee. You have to lead it through, I think, a core set of knowledgeable and key influencers within those functions and let that smaller set really drive the objectives and keep things on pace. Your role, once you kind of get the momentum going and you kind of get everyone's head kind of aligned in terms of what you're doing, is to not let the fire die. And so keep it going. Be very transparent and communicate often in terms of where are things at, how are things progressing, where we need additional focus, et cetera. And, and breaking down the larger problems into manageable chunks that can really be delivered and measured so that we understand and we clearly see progress in a small time frame as opposed to a very long time frame. So those are some of the key things that I use, little tools and you know, that I've used to drive delivery without having any resources or influence over those groups. I think, yeah, finding that grassroots effort, finding the right sponsor, you know, while it could be top down and, and it could be grassroots sometimes, sometimes it's one and the same. Yeah, it is. And, and typically I try not to do the top down because that usually doesn't really create the buy-in that you're trying to get. You know, I'd really rather have the grassroots understand the problem, find the value, get those core influencers and leaders within the functions to see it in terms of, you know, how it provides something back to them. And then they're willing to it. They're wanting to do it. Top down is usually a last measure because that just creates resistance. You don't really get the partnership and things usually typically crumble. But the top down, the, the having the top level uh, sponsorship and engagement, I think is the thing that you do want to have visibility into so that you can articulate the value and you can show, hey, this is really what it's doing for the company. So that helps even encourage the functions more and more to drive and be partners for the delivery for the long haul. I think when you get that top level sponsor who's like, hey, this is actually a priority for my organization. I think whoever's underneath the manager, the manager, the manager, I think then they feel comfortable that they're investing their time in a direction that's fruitful because obviously they're trying to deliver because that's their job. And if he sees or she sees that, hey, you know, my leadership believes this is priority your priority becomes my priority and, and that helps. And there's trade-offs too, because typically those functions, you know, just don't have, you know, free cycles just sitting around, you know, so something else is going to have to come off the plate for them to be able to do this. And they've got to be able to sell that to their leadership to understand, hey, why am I not doing, you know, X, Y, Z and you want me to do ABC? Okay, so now I understand why I've got to deliver this. For you as a person driving this without the functional authority to do it, it's a lot of legwork and it's a lot of communication. So you have to be really dedicated to having a lot of conversations. You're going to get a lot of no's, but you have to be kind of relentless in terms of just kind of continuing to push it forward and you know, communicating it in a way. And sometimes you have to massage that communication to get it in the right frame for the group to really understand why it's sticky for them. And so that's the piece that I think from the role that I'm in, that that's the strategic piece, the communication piece, the leadership piece around 
you know, the communication, understanding and articulating this more complex thing in a simple terms and getting it into a value proposition that the functions are willing to dedicate their resources to. Isn't it interesting how much of a person's jobs comes down to the criticality of messaging and tone? Oh, it's everything. <laughs> it's mind-blowing that it's not something that we're taught. I mean, rarely, if ever, does anyone go, let me explain to you the differences in how you can deliver something. We all learn this by either emulating somebody who's done a good job of it, and we've witnessed it, or we learn it the hard way. But it's such a critical soft skill that no one provides any insight until it's too late. And you're like, oh, I really messed that one up. Let's not do that again. I couldn't agree with you more around how valuable that is to delivery of so many critical components within an organization, yet so little attention is, is applied to that as a, as a leadership skill that people develop or trying to find individuals who have that ability to communicate across teams that can help articulate complexity in simple terms what I often see and what we often experience, especially in a large organization, is that we don't communicate as effectively. We make things way too complex for whatever reason. We put it into a jargon that's fine within a function, but others don't understand. And we don't see the bigger picture. And we don't try to put things in a value position around, here's how it affects each component along this chain of delivery. And so that perspective and that skill set is something that is very unique. I think it's a leadership skill that not all leaders have that you have to kind of mature and evolve over time. It also, I think it involves building trust with others. So, you know, none of this is going to work if you, the person doesn't trust you, if the function doesn't trust you. If they think that, hey, you're just doing it for Mike's reasons or for my function's reasons, you've got to constantly put on your, your company hat as opposed to your function hat or your division hat or my personal hat. And you really got to kind of look at this and from a completely different perspective. It's a little bit of a blend between strategic as well as operational delivery. And so how can I see the strategy or vision where I want to go? And now how do I operationalize that? And then how do I learn from the operations so I can make sure that I'm still on the path for that strategy? Because things will constantly come up. We don't live in a static environment or a static world. There's always dynamics that are changing things, especially if you're looking at very large types of endeavors that may take multiple years and have multi-millions of investment. You know, those things are big, big objectives and how to stay flexible enough so that you can deliver it, but not so rigid that you, end of the day, you deliver something that's not usable. That makes a lot of sense. And I think, uh, yeah, when you're mentioning it's a unique skill set, I think it's a skill set that you're kind of forced to develop because you're in a position where you must articulate to others. And if they don't accept what you're saying, you're in trouble. Once you become on the hook for making sure there's buy-in and you learn that you have to put it into their frame of reference in their world, then you do it. Until then, you're using your jargon because you're with your people and it's much easier, honestly. And it was the skill set that I originally was hired for when I moved into Bonsanto, having the IT engineering software development skill as well as the biotech uh, chemistry skill. My job was to work between our life sciences organization and our engineering groups that talked totally different languages didn't understand each other's priorities. My role when I moved in was to really be that go-between, that liaison between the two so that we could really deliver a common product at the end of the day. And that was being able to speak in two different languages, sometimes completely different languages, and understand the priorities and find a common ground where we can move things along. That's so true. I always tell hiring managers, I'm like the hybrid roles, I call them the hybrid roles, the go-betweens of 
whatever it is that in, in every industry, there's a hybrid where you need to be a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And I said, that is the single hardest person to find because you're looking for two skill sets that are developed in one person. And um, again, we talked about that at the top of the show, biology background, ended up at an agricultural biotech company. That's a great outcome because they didn't have to worry about that side of the house. So you later spent a lot of time in the data science side and you understood the underlying fundamentals, which has got to be a you know, difference maker for you involved and everyone else who's ever you know, touched your work over there. Right. And I always found that hybrid role a very exciting role because it was always evolving. There were always new challenges between the groups and being able to be that translation between you know, the life sciences in terms of what we were trying to do from a biotech or chemistry perspective, being able to take that from a researcher and articulate that into an engineered solution that helped them drive the researcher's delivery is, you know, that at the end of the day was very rewarding. You know, and how do we continue to compound that? And I still use that role now from a data science perspective, looking at, at a broader picture around all of our egg business. How do we use data science with the broader objectives of egg and with our growers? our farmers. And so being able to understand the, the customer on that end too. And you're kind of a translator between the customer and the company as well. And so uh, it's dynamic. It's uh, something that's always challenging. You're always learning something new. And uh, I think it also puts you in a good position from a career development because there's always something there that you can move into. It's very broad as opposed to being very narrow and detailed. It's a, it's a very broad role, but I think it's a very challenging and rewarding one as well. Awesome. I was kind of gauging at the clock and uh, I recognize we're kind of coming to the top of our uh, time with each other. And I want to say thank you for being on. I, I think great topics we covered. Your insight was fantastic. Much appreciated. Oh, you're welcome. I, I really enjoyed it. If someone wants to reach out to you, you know, based on something you've talked about on the podcast, LinkedIn's the best or is there another avenue? Yeah, LinkedIn. Yeah, just shoot me a note on LinkedIn. I'm always uh, checking it. Yeah. Also, we'll make sure to include that in the show notes. So if someone does have a question and wants to follow Mike, that's the best way. Otherwise, that's it for this week. We'll be back again next week. Another guest, another uh, set of topics. Until then, I ask for two things. If you could please uh, continue to give me some feedback. I love it. I've getting some notes in terms of topics you want me to cover and, and some different areas you want us to dive into. And, and we're kind of doing that. So that's uh, awesome feedback. Secondly, subscribe to the podcast. It's been incredible. Like I would have never assumed we're getting this kind of movement on a podcast, but the listenership is just kind of steadily increasing. And it's because you guys are listening and drop a rating on the podcast because you know all the algorithms out there for Apple, Google, they all use that to help promote the podcast on the platform. So That'd be awesome. Otherwise, until next week, thanks.